one. And we are recording with the one and only Mr. Jeff Nyquist. I have not read In Plain Sight. I have read I've read a ton of uh, UFO books, some better than others. Guys have interviewed uh, Larry Holcomb, uh, who does had presidents in UFOs. Uh, Dr. Lin Katai, who witnessed the Phoenix Lights in 97. Um, um, what's his name? Nick, uh, Nick Pope, who was the head of the UFO, I guess, research department for the Ministry of Defense in the UK. Um, and I've tried to get on other guys. I've tried time and time again and failed to get Bob Lazar. Um, he doesn't like to talk to people. He does not. I have found that out. He does, which to me just makes it all the more credible. Well, if I were him, I wouldn't want to talk to people, uh, you know, this is it's not a uh, it's not a subject for mixed company. Now, uh, Jacques Vallée, the scientist, a yeah. serious scientist who's had security clearances, he's worked on it for his whole adult life. I think his first book, he was practically in graduate school, was Anatomy of a Phenomenon. I think that came out in 59 or 60. I think he's 82 now. Yeah. Um, and I followed his work. Uh, he he has written an interesting uh, autobiography which is kind of an autobiography about a person who's interested in scientific methodology, physics, computer science, and you know, what is the truth? What are the, what is the ultimate truth? What's going on? And uh, I think he, he, he knew because of the ridicule factor, people weren't going to talk about the subject. Scientists didn't want to get involved, but he created something he called the invisible college scientists who could deny that they had anything to do with the looking into it, uh, but that he could at least pick their brain and get them to mm-hmm. look at some evidence. And of course, he ran around with uh, J. Allen Hynek during mm-hmm. Blue Book. He did a lot of the interviews. And now he's what's really remarkable. I just saw him do a podcast um, uh, about this new book of his Trinity. I don't know if you've heard about it. Yeah, but I know he was just on, um, what is it? He always forgets Jer- Jeremy or Jeffrey Mishlove. He's got the he's he's got a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've also tried to get on, but I just saw that he had one on that podcast like two weeks ago. I think. As a matter of discipline, you know, I've been always been interested in the philosophy of science, and when you're talking about a mystery that nobody can figure out very easily, um, this is one that is a test of methodology, yeah. and maybe even developing a new methodology. And so I followed his work. And it, but it was a part of my education in the philosophy of science. Um, and I, what I'm surprised at, having followed his work, you know, in the early 90s, he, I think it was around 1990 anyway, he came out with his sort of his theory, which was in a book called Dimensions. And his theory was that the phenomenon, the UFO phenomenon, is not extraterrestrial. It's interdimensional. And he gives, right. he gives another number of reasons. He says it's interdimensional. And he gives a bunch of reasons. There's too many sightings. Um, it's too interactive. It's been around too long. Um, and and so it, it's a rather remarkable theory because if you read his first book, Anatomy of a Phenomenon, he's looking at the extraterrestrial theory to see if it matches the data. And he kind of says, well, it seems to match the data. But then, you know, in during the 60s with books like Passport to Magonia, in which he kind of uses a cultural you know, it looks at mythology and um, the human, uh, you know, legends and stuff 
about little people abducting people. You know, you go to Shakespeare, you know, and there's that line in Hamlet near the beginning when they're they're waiting for the ghost of Hamlet's father. And he talks about Christmas time being so holy that no fairy takes, right? Or no witch's spell is effective. So no fairy takes, you mean little people who take people? little people who abduct people. So mm. Passport to Magonia is like, wait a minute, these stories about people being abducted by little people have been in different human cultures for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, the the Swedes, my ancestors have the Tuntas, and, and my mom even had little statues of them. Tuntas are like Scandinavian leprechauns, right? Yeah. And you've got it in Ireland. You've got the famous. So you go, well, what is this? What is it? Um, not sure, but it's in human consciousness and you've got, um, and so he, and then he goes to messengers of deception where he looks at the UFO cults and he says there, there's political and philosophic and religious, it's almost like a new religion is being born from this phenomenon. And he, he even wrote a book, um, uh, the subtitle was uh, Alien Contact and Human Deception about how governments had gotten involved in faking UFO abductions. The French government, he he shows the French government, the U.S. government. Well, the U.S. government didn't fake an abduction, but they faked a, a major UFO incident. And then he he talks about the Soviets. In fact, he went to the Soviet Union, I think it was 89 or 90, um, and and that book was – fascinating because then you're looking at a different country that's sort of on the other side of the the um the iron curtain and he goes back there and you what they what did they want to talk to him about they weren't really interested in his theories they wanted to know what he knew about ancient holy sites hmm. as related to ufos ancient temples like it's like what Right. So you you suddenly find and so he's gone the whole gamut. He's he is not a one dimensional uh, Charlie. He's trying. He's realizing this is really a complex phenomenon that has to do with the human mind and the soul, the spirit, religion, politics, sociology, mythology um, and, of course, philosophy of science and, you know, interdimensional physics. You know, um, very strange. So it is one of those subjects that touches on all the big questions, right? Yeah. So, and that's why, you know, uh, people, people are like, you talk about that. It's like, no, anything that's big that touches on everything else may provide a wider context for understanding, right? It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a bonus question for the scientific method right it's like a bonus question on an ochem test yeah it's always the most difficult thing and it's you can't really complain about it being difficult because it's a bonus question so it's like you weren't entitled to these points anyway but it's like how much can you really apply what you know and you're never quite sure it's not multiple choice you're like i think it's this the answer might be one it might be 50 billion but it's kind of like I've always looked at it as the as the bonus question for the scientific method. It's like, well, what is this real? I mean, are there radar returns? If there are, that means that there is a like a physical thing in our atmosphere somewhere from somewhere else, or there is the perception of it. And it could be an illusion. I don't know. You know, just like a fake. Or there's a non-physical thing creating the impression of a physical thing being there. 
Yeah. So whether it's us or whether it's an impression of us or yeah, whether it's uh, whether there's a band in my room or if it's my phone playing a record of a band, whatever it is, there's something here from somewhere else that other that, uh, that someplace else might be the Andromeda galaxy. It might be another dimension. But to me, it's like that is like the ultimate Easter egg of the human experience is like, what are these? They're from. And not only that is the implications of it just from a from like a national security standpoint is well of course it would be covered up and not for the often touted reason of well humanity couldn't handle it no it's the material science would be so far it'd be like bringing the a bomb from 1945 back to like 1835 or 1845 if you had it and you'd, you'd sequester it and there's one of the theories that some people have is that it's time travelers right yeah um but what's uh you know uh, i i mentioned before we started ross coltart the australia 60 minutes guy now he's a super credible reporter nobody can say he's incredible and he's very skeptical (coughs) and he wrote this book called in plain sight i think it came out last year anyway i saw him doing podcast last year what really caught my attention as an australian i think he was getting worried about australia's uh position vis-a-vis china because Australia is not militarily ready no. for war. And I've talked to military people down in Australia, and it's like same thing with Canada. A lot of these Commonwealth countries, they're just stripped out. They have not kept up with their defense spending. I mean, Australia had one of the best per capita militaries for a small country around. And it's just, you know, like everything in the supposed post-Cold War era, it's gone bye-bye. And, and I, I really got the sense in the this first interview that Coulthard did that he really got interested in this because he was thinking uh, that there's some kind of weapon program that the Americans are hiding behind whatever this is. Um, and, and I've long had this suspicion. And, um, you know, you mentioned Bob Lazar wanting to get him on the show. Bob Lazar is saying, look, I only know what I read. I don't know what this thing really is. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it really came from. He's working on some piece of technology. Um, and so it's any, and, you know, he even said something about reading it that maybe it was from an archeological dig. Yeah. He said that on Rogan. He said, on he, Rogan. said one, he said one of them, he said one that, them, yeah. he said that they said, whoever yeah. they are, one of them. Now, was yeah. And it, it raises a lot of questions. There's so there's all kinds of weird stories and rumors and nobody can, nobody has yet sorted it out. But yeah. what's really weird is now you got, you know, Coulthard did a really solid job in his book. And the one thing you come away with, which is absolutely certain, is the U.S. government has been working on something, uh, super weapons, right? Absolutely. And it's so secret, it's even kept from presidents, mm-hmm. kept from admirals who are supposed to have oversight of such things. Admiral Thomas And there Wilson. is a, yeah, yeah, Thomas Wilson. And it's like, and 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 it's, you know, Edgar Mitchell had this file, which kind of led him to that admiral thomas wilson thing so it's like wait a minute and it's not it's really credible unfortunately i wish i could say it wasn't credible and what does it mean well that's the hard, that's analysis which is really difficult because of the complexity of the subject yeah and then the amount of misinformation disinformation intentional psyops i mean lazar said I, i'm just rereading his book because i was hoping to get him on but he didn't but i'm still gonna finish his book because i love yeah. it i read it first in 2019 uh, Dreamland, and I I'd listened to every interview of Bob Lazar forever. And when he went on Rogan, I uh, found out he had he had did a book. I, I watched the new documentary with him. It's all right, but the book is really good. He goes into more than he's ever gone into before. 
But that's what he talks about. And he talks about it in past interviews as well from the 90s and 80s old VHS tapes. But he says the first thing he, th- when he thought when he was in S4 with, with Dennis Mariani and they give him the, the files is he starts looking at it and he goes, because he's going, he's walking you through all these insane security levels. Right. And he goes, so my next logical, he goes, as soon as I see the words extraterrestrial, he goes, I don't think aliens. I go, oh, this is another test of mental fitness. They want to see, do you believe it? Or they're, or they're, kind of like when you tag proteins in the body with fluorescence yeah, so that you sure. can track them. You want to track misinformation. You tell right. them that this is from Proxima Centauri or whatever. You tell the next scientist that it's from Beetlejuice. And then if there's ever a leak, you go, there's the guy. You go shoot there's him the, the guy. Back of, that's right. Him in the back of the head. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's exactly right. And, and actually that's all, you know, that goes through my mind. I had a friend, uh, he was a scientist and I remember I had gone to visit him in New Mexico. He he lived in New Mexico. And I drove out there and 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 I remember I saw it was um June of uh nineteen ninety-seven. And there were signs, you know, come to Roswell, 50 year celebration. Yeah. You know, they yeah. were doing the 50 year Roswell thing. For those who don't know, Roswell supposedly yeah. uh, one of these flying discs from another world crashed there and in July of 1947, and and so I was kind of bemused, you know, seeing this on the highway, and uh, and so when I got to his place, knowing he was a scientist, I said, I saw all these signs, you know, for Roswell. I said, what do you think of all that? He said, ah, UFOs, misidentification of natural objects. You know, he was a he was a geophysicist, and I thought, oh, okay, that makes sense. So then, uh, you know, because who knows, you know, and so then it was two years later. I kid you not. He calls me up. He is like, Jeff, you're not going to believe, you know, these friends of mine in the NSA, they got me in this. There were these world-class scientists. I had to sign a non-disclosure. I can't even say who they were. And it's like, it's all real. He was telling me, you know, and I go, Gordon, they were doing a psychological warfare thing on you. You know, I said, look, they're just, they're doing a, they're, they're doing a, a number on you. And I really didn't believe it. And they're listening to this phone call, you idiot. <laughs> and they're, you're right. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, I was, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, because it's, it is very science fictiony and crazy sounding. And, uh, and you know, that at the end of world war, this is something that Valley points out uh, in, in his book on uh, alien contact and human deception. We had some, during world war two, we developed some extremely elaborate deception uh, outfits that were there to fool Hitler, mm-hmm. you know, like in the book, the bodyguard of lies. And he, mm-hmm. he quotes from that book and it's like, um, but they called themselves the Martians and they had this idea of faking an alien invasion. Remember the war of the worlds mm-hmm. thing? that was just Wells. before world war two Orson Welles. Now there wasn't really as big a panic as people said, it turns out, but it, a few people did freak out because if they tuned in, later and it sounded like a real news broadcast yeah. oh no you know they wouldn't have realized but um but it really got people thinking and it wasn't only the americans intelligence that was thinking what if we faked an alien well the russians were very country. curious about it too well and by the way there's this weird thing if you go to table talk hitler's table talk remember martin borman had take gotten these guys to secretly write down that could do shorthand everything hitler said during dinner Right. And there's these books. You can get them now. And it's what Hitler was saying during dinner with his with his secretaries and his other close daily associates around him. And there's this really weird towards the end of the war statement that Hitler makes. He says, you know, 
what if aliens showed up to threaten this world from another world? Wouldn't, you know, and he was kind of thinking like, wouldn't I get out of this war of losing this war because all the world would want me as an ally against the aliens? And then Reagan also had the idea during the Cold War, right? Right. So it's like a natural thought. It's like Hitler's losing the war. Maybe he has some secret technologies. He's thinking alien. Was he thinking to himself, wait a minute, maybe I could fake an alien invasion and get out of being in my bunker and having to shoot myself in the head or run to Australia or whatever he did. So it's I mean, so there you've got what and this is where I get interested in it because it's about strategy. Right. Uh, That's to me, that's the most interesting part is there's a right deception and strategy because there is this when you're dealing with the martians in other words our intelligence people who call themselves martians or hitler saying look maybe i could fake it maybe if the aliens invaded i could get out of being destroyed by the allies and the soviets who are closing in on me from two fronts um and then you have uh annie jacobs yeah bizarre saying that the Roswell crash it was, was, was Stalin with Mengele. Yeah, Stalin, and they made up these. Fa- they they did these horrific things to little children to make them look like little people. For, packed for anybody, them in this thing. For anybody and, listening that doesn't know what we're talking about, Annie Jacobson's end, and I love her, and I love all of her writings. But to me, that threw me for the biggest. Like it's crazy sounding. But but for everybody listening, so her her theory is is that. Uh, the Russians saw the war of the worlds and how it affected America and thought, well, what if we could over overwhelm them or destabilize them? And so she, what she posits is the exact opposite of Occam's razor. She says that the Russians had captured Dr. Mengele, uh, kind of like not quite mutilated, but bastardized a bunch of children and they gave them swollen heads and eyes to look like aliens. Okay. I could see that the Nazis were insane. Okay. And we know the Russians got some. Okay. But then she goes on to say that, Stalin used an anti-gravity craft to come into the United States with these kids, crash it, knowing that it would sound insane, and that that craft was launched from my mothership on the North Pole. It that is all so much more difficult to believe than a Roswell <laughs> crash, which to me has for, and I love Annie Jacobs. Whenever I've read all of her stuff, it's, Area, it's, Area Fifty One, well, Operation Annie, Paperclip, Phenomena, Jacob, DARPA, yeah. uh, First Platoon. Uh, surprise kill vanish i've read all of her yeah. books well she that... she's shook she's a good writer and she interviews people so she yeah. didn't just come out up with this on her own somebody fed was, this to her you think she was given a snow job she was she... fed this yeah now, it's unfortunate well okay so but just think about it the the when you're in an intelligence service when you're doing strategy you gotta lie just to keep time yeah right you yeah. just gotta lie to keep time. What time is it? Oh, you're gonna tell me the wrong time now yeah, again, it's, aren't it's, you? You gotta practice. Put in the ten thousand hours. You gotta do it because you know uh, deception is a really big deal in the intelligence and counterintelligence world. It's it's like that funny joke from that that movie. It's like, well, we knew that you knew. Yeah, you knew that. You know, well, we knew that you knew that we knew. Yeah, and yeah, and on and on. And then it goes on and on. And it's like so it's it's sort of but you you have to, to 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 create the wilderness of mirrors, you have to reflect all kinds of things back that are imit they're close to the truth, mm-hmm. but they're not the real thing, right? Or they're some facsimile of a truth. And so and sometimes the things they put out there are just plain so dumb. 
the 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 Russians, the Soviets are really good at it in their domestic managing their domestic opinions. For example, if anything significant happens in in Russia or the Soviet Union, they would create several different versions of what happened and put that out. And the reason they and all of the versions would be false that they would put out. And the reason they would do that is it's sort of like imagine you're in the store and you've got all these things to choose from. People are going to, and it's a great ex social experiment. See what people grab, which lie people like, oh. like which, which lie do people who are in this profession, like, or this with this background, like people who are religious will believe this one. People who are scientific minded, like this one, people who are lower class or upper class or brainy or not so brainy, they'll go to different ones. Right. Wouldn't it be nice to know that you Hello. know what group you need to target? No, to get flavor to you like. Yeah. Yeah. It's McDonald's, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's it's knowing which country you're playing to. A McDonald's in China doesn't necessarily have a Big Mac. It has like noodles and something. Right. It's like, we know, we know what you want. Yeah. It's marketing meets everything the big lie. Need, everything you need. Yeah. It's, it's marketing <laughs> meets the big lie. It's perfect. So, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, it's like when you, if you, you know, Hitler was sophisticated, he was onto it. Lenin was sophisticated. You, you read, you know, Mein Kampf is sort of sickening to read the whole thing, but there's a part in the book where he actually talks about the big lie, which is very famous, but he's actually describing the Soviet technique. The big lie he is attributing to them. He talks about uh, Madison Avenue and Wall, you know, all the uh, advertising, Western advertising, and how good it was and how it helped the Western allies in, in World War One. the kind of sophisticated advertising that democracies have, you know, free market democracies, and, and how really, you know, the Germans were kind of in their, their culture, they were kind of wanted to be more truthful. Um, and, and their propaganda fell flat because it wasn't dishonest enough, right? It wasn't spicy enough. And then he talked about the Soviets and the big lie, the communists. Um, so the, so the real question here is when we, when we're trying to peel away this onion to see what's underneath it, you've got all these investigators and all these people and they're being fed all these stories. And what's really interesting is that, you know, uh, so Valley has been connected to, classified project so has he been given carte blanche that he has to say certain things yeah i i don't think so i don't think so with him but then you go to john a keel who also put forward the interdimensional uh, theory and keel had shockingly early in his life worked for intelligence hmm. right and Johnny Keel is a major writer. He's long. He, he did the Mothman prophecy famously. They made that movie out of it. Wake up number 37. Um, and then they've got, you know, uh, and of course his, his big book was, I think his most important one was why UFOs, you know, operation Trojan horse, I think was the original title in, in which he, he has that very chilly. It's a very, you know, things that go bump in the night and it's very scary. And he says, demonology is not just another crackpotology, right? Yeah. So he goes into the history of demonology, demons, you know, interdimensional beings that aren't nice yeah. that are, that are behind this. And this is what he thinks that the, he calls them ultra terrestrials. And he says, they're, they're pretty evil and they don't mean us well, huh. you know, um, it's well, very interesting stuff. It's scary. It's, he's like the H.P. Lovecraft of ufology. Okay. Uh, Keel is. Uh, uh, Richard Gere played him in the movie, uh, and it's a very creepy movie. The thing. book's creepy too. Um, but um, and then and then of course you've got um, you've got the very bizarre 
you know, abduction stories, the Whitley Strieber series of books that it's very hard to wrap your head around it. Right? Mm. It's so strange. Um, so strange that in his second book, one of the things you find is that he's abducted accidentally with his cat. And he's taken to these human-like aliens who have kind of slightly bigger heads and they're telepathic and they're really scary. Just being in their presence is scary. And um, and they seem very upset that the cat came along. And they're really upset by the cat being there. And they are determined to put the cat out. And he thinks they're going to kill his cat. And they just put the cat to sleep. And it's just, it's just this weird detail. Hmm. I mean... His stuff is so bizarre that you just can't believe that he made it up. So where does it, where does the story, where does the experiences that he is relating come from? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That is kind of like as much as I absolutely adore the idea of like a UFO craft. There's just something I love about it. It seems foolish to think that that's how they get here. And not because the the most quoted is, well, the speed of light, the speed of light is what we think is the fastest, just like we used to think the world was flat. I, I hate that argument, the definitive, well, the speed of light. Yeah, huh? And it used to be that if you want to send information, it had to be on parchment. No one, no one foresaw, you know, real time video through high resolution screens and fiber optics at the speed of light. So not not even that whole consideration, which I just think is a. It's it's so disheartening when you hear modern astrophysicists talk about the speed of light being the limitations to why aliens can't. That's what we understand now. That being said. Actually, physics has gone past that. At least well, my friend who had the briefing 20 years ago said that he had queried this major physicist. He said, but wait a minute, you can't go faster than the speed of light. Well, electron entanglement. Which and the guy said, oh, no, we're way past that now. Yeah, yeah they can go, you can go faster than the speed of light. Um, but the, but there's, you know, Valise theory very seriously has got to be taken very seriously because he really is a serious scientist. And, and it's sort of like his question is, well, what if they are from here? Yeah, they might not be from somewhere else. They might be what right here. What if they're here? from here? What if they're yeah. You know, and Strieber has this weird thing. He says, what if they are part of us? Once I remember thinking, I vividly remember flying out to Los Angeles on November 1st, 2013 for my interview at the University of uh, Southern California Keck School of Medicine. It's not important, but I do remember flying out there and just reading this article about dark energy and dark matter and popular science, like nothing I hadn't heard of before. But I remember it dawned on me like, what if they are like truly right on top of us? Much like, much like if you didn't have a radio receiver, you'd have no idea that we are bathed in radio waves, right? Just like if you didn't have a, you know, just like if you didn't have a Wi-Fi router, you'd have no idea that you're just bathing in Wi-Fi. I remember thinking like, what if there's like another world right on top of us that is as alien to us as sound is to a deaf person? But what if there's just another like dimension that like if you put something on like thermal goggles and how you can see heat, what if it could just be something as like if you just got the right goggles, you would just see like a whole other society right on top of us just morphing through us. And we might be invisible to them, but like they might be right here. Like, why not? Well, you've got the whole angels and demons, right? You've got mm-hmm. you see the cartoons and there's a demon on one shoulder yeah. whispering in the ear and the angel on the other. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you've got this kind of thing, um, 
uh, with this. And you've got, you've got, you know, Carl Jung wrote a book uh, on flying saucers, a modern myth of things seen in the sky. And the, the, the creepiest thing in the book is he says, um, what if the UFO pilots are a, 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 a Charon, right? Or Charon, however you pronounce it, the, 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 the boatman to Hades. Hmm. Oh, wow. He said, oh, and interpreting, and he's interpreting, basically, Jung was just interpreting UFO dreams to try to understand flying saucer dreams. And he says, look, it looks to me like if you are going to consult an ancient soothsayer or somebody, some wise church, early church father or something, you're going to say, maybe these, these things, these, these saucers are preparing for a great time of dying to carry the souls of the dead to the other side, you know, across the river sticks, so to speak. And that that's what their sudden appearance and that the oh, appearance God. corresponds with the advent of the, the atomic weapon. bomb. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the atomic bomb comes, they show up in great numbers. People oh, see God. them everywhere. It's, yeah. It's a bunch of ambulances it's, showing up 10 minutes early to an accident. And you're like, what's right. It's yeah, it's a, a bunch of well, it's, it's a bunch of ambulances if, if showing God up knows, to a false flag. You're if, like, if God knows in advance, you know, yeah, if he's people, sending all the oh, he's setting oh, the God. rescue team in advance, oh, no. right? Oh no. Um, so I mean, we just don't know. The nature of the universe is, you know, is potentially very strange. Very strange. It's like that play. scene from uh, I don't think I've ever watched the full movie, but the sum of all fears where the Secret Service guys all of a sudden just take the president and rush him out of the football stadium. Everyone's looking like what? And there's like one or two people that are just like, oh shit. <laughs> like if the president's nearby talking to you and all of a sudden somebody listens to something in the ear, grabs them and they all run out, guns drawn. It's like, oh man, I'm dead. <laughs> you know, something's coming. It's and the a is the idea. That yeah. was um sorry to interrupt, but that was an idea I had. And I know it's not an original idea that the you know aliens have detected us dropping an A-bomb. And I've I've used this experience before, but I'll go over it real quick. 2005, when I was a freshman in high school, I'm it was like fall 2005. Me and my buddies were at one of our friends' house. We were at Alex's house, and we were shooting off bottle rockets like just little shitheads, little Roman candles. And uh, we were like lighting the neighbor's lawns on fire in like a nice suburban area of Atlanta. This is way before we drank or talked to girls. We were like, not because we didn't want to, but because we could, didn't have access to alcohol and we weren't cool enough to talk to girls. So we were just lighting lawns on fire and we do it. And then uh, we would like pull the garage down and then we'd like lay in the garage and we wait and, you know, take like 20 minutes, but eventually like a cop car would roll by because there are all these loud bangs and stuff. And somebody had called it in and the cops would come by and, kind of go around the cul-de-sac with just like the and in hindsight they probably knew where we were they're just giving us a scare and then they'd leave so i and we did this every weekend for like several weekends and they would always come by like 20 minutes later we got the response time down pretty good we were good little insurgents and i look back at it now and i go what what was it really so we're in an area we're in a civilized area suburbia we set off an explosive we were kids who had acquired a technology that we probably shouldn't have had we were disrupting other members of this of this suburban suburban uh, area. Lawyers, accountants, doctors, good families that didn't want their lawns on fire on a Friday night. And so, what would happen? The cops would come by, the enforcement, and they'd come by two hour. They'd come by after a set amount of time, so in time, and they would get relatively close in our proximity space. All right. And I always think to a bombs. So July sixteenth, nineteen forty five. We're in a civilization, humanity. We're kids. 
right? We just got, you know, an atomic bomb. And we're like, look at this thing go. And proximity and time. So when's the UFO crash? July 1947. It's two years, almost to the day. And space. How far away is Roswell from Alamogordo? It's 116 miles. So, and I know that they've been coming here for all of human history, but the most cited one is 1947. So in all of human history, it's within two years. And of the entire globe, it's 116 miles. That kind of seems like the cop coming by with the flashlight. Maybe they don't know where you are, or maybe they're there to give you a scare and let you know you're being watched. But I always think about, it kind of seems like they're buzzing by, just flipping the, you know, whoop, whoop, just, yeah, we saw it. Congrats, you discovered it. But you are in a neighborhood. You can't light other people's lawns on fire. Well, making um, making Annie Jacobson maybe seem more credible uh, is there's some weird things. You If you want to – I haven't read uh, Veli's new book he co-authored with a person who had been investigating this case. There was this crash in 1945, just like three or four weeks after tr- the Trinity test. Oh, really? Right. And there were two – until recently, two witnesses in their 80s. They were boys tending cattle on their father's cattle ranch right next to the uh, you know Alamogordo site and there was a I guess there's an airport at Alamogordo with a bluff that planes could crash into so they got some kind of warning tower and this thing allegedly came and crashed into the tower now I, I I'm surprised Billy in this more recent interview said that they actually had documentation from the U.S. Army Air Force that those kids were there and that avocado shaped thing had hit the thing and fell and so there's this is maybe the best documented uh, case with one of the witness, elderly witnesses is still alive now. And uh, what's really interesting is that they have materials because I think it was a hatch, if I remember, uh, broke off this thing. And these kids went and grabbed it, and they've they've had it ever since. I'm going to make a note of it. Sorry. I'm so not... there's – yeah, the book is called Trinity. But here's the weird part. By Jacques. Going back to Annie Jacobson. They they analyze the debris that they have from this thing. It's made on the metric system, right? Like, like the Russians or the Germans made it. People oh, the the, the debris system. is. How, 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 it's like is a it... hatch. Yeah, I don't know because there's there's things that are spaced. Oh, and they're made. Say. You know, you can okay. measure it in metric. It it fits metric measurements. But they're uh, they're exact measurements. Yeah, I, I believe okay. so. Uh, but of course, I think he 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 identified the material. Uh, I guess they're still looking at material, and he's got some scientists looking at it. So I'm not sure what they've concluded. But I thought in the uh, the earlier interview he said, you know, it was it was probably manufactured in Europe, mm-hmm. um, and so it, it wasn't exotic. It wasn't from another planet that they could tell. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't think they'd finished testing it. They were doing a lot of testing, but, um, this is the kind of thing it's like, um, so wait a minute. And then of course the weird thing is this hatch blows off and these witnesses, you know, they're hearing these little kids crying. sounds like little kids crying, right? Well, well, Valley's first observation, given the way he theorized, he goes, how come they can breathe our air? Right. They're from another planet. Pressure would be different atmosphere would be different and besides do they want to get germs by breathing our air remember what we did the astronauts when we went when they went to the moon quarantined them we quarantined them right because 
God help us if there wasn't something. There's a little bit of an atmosphere on the moon, very slight. What if there's some kind of microorganism there they bring back and it just wipes us all out? Right? We wouldn't want that. What if the crying is, I mean, what if that's predator? What if you're mimicking the noise of something you want to hunt? Crying baby. Anyone from any society, even me. I don't like kids. But if I heard a crying baby out in the middle of the day, I'd be like, ah, shit. You know, you Got to go help this thing. Got to go help this thing. Well, yeah. And, I mean, like and of course, call. this is, again, you know, I'm, you know, it's fascinating. Valet is doing this. And then in this interview that Valet gave, he shocked me by referring to Colonel Corso's information. Oh, yeah. The, and yeah, the um, he had apparently talked to the man. And apparently there were, um, there was an interview that Corso did that's in Italian. And it's very strange because there's things in there that aren't in his book. That explains that the government wouldn't let him put certain things in the book. Now, that's really strange if that's true. Yeah. Um, so what do you make of it? Um, I don't know because, again, Corso's military intelligence type guy. And so is his information disinformation is he or some strategic person, right, for some strategic purpose or not? Yeah, is he a How do you believer? Know? Is he is he yeah? Is he working for Blue Book? Is he unknowingly working or unwittingly working for them? Um, so anybody, you know, anything you take at face value in the area of intelligence and strategy, anything you take at face value, you could end up being duped. Yeah. And then we have the question of if there is another intelligence, interdimensional, demonic, extraterrestrial, whatever, it could be duping us too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If it if it wanted to show up here, I mean, it wouldn't if you're a demonic entity, you're not you might not necessarily want to if you're just here to scare you would. But if you're here to gain trust or to win us kind of like an angler fish with a little light in front of us, you wouldn't show up as some like, you know, muscle and flesh demon, you know, that's like screeching in some, you know, satanic tone now you'd show up as a bright light and what you know, what do people always describe they're like it's, it was a very peace bob lazar says it was very unsettling which could lead to the idea that it's demonic but a lot of people talk about you know fighter pilots will say like a great peace came over me but isn't that kind of like an anglerfish just the light like from finding right. well if i wanted to take a soldier i'd want a great peace to come over him then fall asleep and then he was yeah. not going to be a threat to well, me yeah I mean, um how do you kill the cow? You walk. You don't walk up to it screaming. You just have the little pressure pulse. You, go you don't up, want to. You don't want to alarm the animal. Head it on the face. <laughs> Done. Right. No, you don't want to alarm the animal. Um, you know, the the this is the thing that that gets down to it. You have exobiology, right? So mm-hmm. the idea of there's other planets, there might be plants or animals on those planets. We know now there's quite a few Earth-like planets, more than people thought there would be when they started looking. Now we have sophisticated ways of of finding these planets. I guess Alpha Centauri, there's one, is bigger than the Earth. It's uh, it's it's orbiting a star a lot closer. It's a different. I think it's a is it a red giant? It's a different kind of star, but it's in that correct place where it would be warm enough and it would have the right conditions um that's how close these things could be uh that is other forms of life and of course so you got exobiology well do you then have exopolitics and if you have exopolitics think about this for a minute if you have the power to leave your planet you also have the power to destroy a planet mm-hmm. because the power it the would take of energy requ- yeah 
Right. The amount of energy you have to generate to leave a planet. I mean, we had the atomic bomb before we could leave the planet. Yeah. We did. Yeah. No, yeah. <clears throat> the two things kind of go together. So when you have this capability to leave a planet, whatever, supposing there's animals on other planets, whether they're insects or whatever they are, like intelligences, you can imagine anything. You know, I mean, the, the God made not just the Earth, but he made uh, billions of galaxies. What, there's three, four hundred billion galaxies. And there's, you know, a couple hundred billion stars in each of these galaxies. So you're telling me with all the billions and billions of worlds out there, they're just all empty. Yeah. Right. God made it's like he just made this. It's like making a whole world and having only things growing in one field of it. It doesn't make any sense. There's so supposing you and then it's very old. You know, what is it? Twenty billion years old or 17 billion years old and it's 36 billion years across whatever yeah they, they've measured it now they know it's a limited whatever thing. the number is absurd right the number is quite big but it's limited you know it's like aristotle said anything that's real is not infinite you know anything that's physically real is not infinite uh the physical realm is one of limitations so uh, so you go to um you go to this okay exobiology so they can leave the world they have the power to destroy it. So once you are in that state, what is you, you talk about predators and prey, right? So what is the number one way to survive in that environment? If now just like people aren't all good, why would non-people who are intelligent in other places all be good? They wouldn't be because if they're smart enough to figure this stuff out, they're smart enough to be able to do damage to others that they see as a threat. So, so you got a threat that is, uh, well, they could, if they found us, they could destroy us. So what's the number one thing? Hiding. So we look out in the universe and we don't see anything. Maybe the explanation is when you, don't you get, be seen. yeah, when you get to that level, you realize you don't want to be seen because there might be something else like you that could suddenly gobble you up. Well, it's right? like that. I think someone brought up the theorem. If you're alone in the, in the jungle, do you get on top of a tree branch and yell? Maybe not. Maybe if you're really desperate, you might slink up there quietly and observe. You might not make a no You might go full Terminator, or not Terminator, Predator. You might cover yourself in mud and just look around. It might be hiding. And then that's something I've brought up on here. But And I know I keep interrupting. You. I, I get really excited at UFOs, so I apologize. But <laughs> there is one thing I remember thinking on this podcast was like, I mean, almost without exception. Who are like the most successful and powerful among us? Military industrial uh, contractors, intelligence community, ruthless NGOs. They're not, they're not Mr. Rogers. So why no. in God's name do we just assume the greys are, but they're probably a lot like the military industrial complex who will just bulldoze Iraq on a whim. Well, think about this. The like, Germans, the Nazis invented TV. And so the first broadcasts going out into space, <laughs> showing Hitler. pictures or images of this world are showing pictures and images of what? Of Hitler screaming. Right. Right. That's that's so <laughs> it's created a good impression on the neighborhood. Right. You know, that that might be kind of ballsy on our part. It's like going into prison and just killing the biggest guys. The first thing they intercept is this guy. Well, what would a stupid animal in the forest do? Come toward not realize there's other animals in the forest right yeah, that, yeah. or come near the north it's they're coming i mean a fishing lure is a shiny object you mean a perfectly silver disc 
that just floats and shines. That, man, my alarm bells go off when I think of that. Well, you know, there's, if you want to get creative, you know, just, and, and think about this, um, maybe we're the bobble. The what? Maybe we're the shiny object that's meant to attract something. Oh, maybe someone put us here and we're the Lord. Maybe we're the live bait. We're the live bait. Oh, we're the God. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Oh, you put us here and yeah, it's a cat playing with its food. It's a cat playing with a cricket or something. Yeah. I oh, mean, if no. you're going to go into exopolitics, you have to entertain all these theories. But they would walk out all these ideas. They would, right. You'd have to walk it all out. Yeah. You would. It, yeah. I mean, you would want oh, everything no. you could think of is possible now. Yeah. Along oh, these no. lines, because first of all, it's it's I mean, it's like uh, you go to Charles Hoy Fort, right? He was kind of ahead of his time in 1919. He wrote the Book of the Damned and Fort had found all this evidence in old scientific books you know, of, of observations of super constructions passing across the face of the moon, going across the sun, things they would saw through telescopes that they wrote down. Astronomers wrote down you know, a long time ago. And he goes through him and he goes, there's something out there. And then he has this, this very bizarre in the book of the damned. He suddenly goes, uh, supposing we are owned, that something owns this earth, like Tamerlane, a deep space Tamerlane. They're just conquered and that we serve some purpose. And then he says, chickens, geese, pigs, you know, uh, what purpose do they serve? Do, do you talk to your chickens? Do you try to establish diplomatic relations with the hen? No, it lays eggs for you. You don't need to open an embassy, hmm. right? So is 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 some critter from somewhere else put its flag down on the earth like Columbus landing at San, you know, San Salvador? Is that what, what we're going to expect to see? No, because what is the relationship? Uh, how does a, a lesser intelligence recognize a greater intelligence? What what? How does it estimate it? It can't other than if it could it would be unnatural structures you know if a bird or a dog saw an apartment building it i can i can't know i mean how would i know but i would imagine that if there's anything they recognize it would be like that like an unnatural structure but since now remember our talk last time about um the fundamental nature of the universe being that Spirit is primary over matter, uh, so that you could, might say the phrase, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but it's the <clears> – <throat> what you've got is you've got this spiritual thing. So you you can figure out all these uh, physical laws, and you can make airplanes, rockets, nuclear weapons, maybe interdimensional travel things. But <clears throat> whatever you've got, you are, you are still left with the spiritual which, by the way, any other creature in this creation also has to account for itself spiritually. And so you don't ever get away from that. Hmm. And then you have to ask, well, what is the, why are we here? Yeah. And we weren't ultimately, you know, this, I really don't like these things that aliens put us here. Uh, because it 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 when you look at the history uh, of of human thought and mythology and the deep concepts that are in um, theology and and philosophy, you realize um, there's 
there's something higher there's something you know there's there's a god principle remember i talked about coolish the scientist there there is a god there is a creator there's an intelligence and so ultimately we're inside of that and that is determining everything else um, and however that's determined, whatever this is, whatever's going on here, it seems as if we are on this world free to pursue our lives and our civilization without really what appears to be serious interference from anything else. A true like laissez-faire experiment. I mean, really hands off just seeing how something operates on its own. I mean, whatever, I mean, uh, you've got these theories, you've got the paranoid theories like Kiel that, uh, and you've got uh, uh, Bramley's Gods of Eden where people claim, well, UFOs are manipulating us and we're being manipulated. And uh, <clears throat> and you've got the, uh, the 12 planet stuff. But the reality is, is that um, when you look at history, it doesn't really seem to have that structure unless you want to be, unless you're paranoid and everything's a conspiracy. Um, it doesn't really have that structure, not not real life, not daily life, which really, if you look at the things that happen to us, it, they actually have, there is a kind of, how would you say, it, a spiritual structure to mm. the world, a structure that when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the Old Testament prophets or the Greek philosophers, you're seeing that structure reflected in their in their in those writings. Yeah. You know, man is, we are not, the, we do not know everything. We're in fact almost intentionally only know a part. And we have to find our way to the good and we have to find our way to what's right with this imperfect, being placed in this imperfect situation, almost like a test. That, that's that's what I think it is, is, is a test. Uh, I really got to use the restroom. So, uh, Jeff. Hold it down. Welcome oh, to... you're going to leave me again with the audience again. That's what I always do, uh, much like a test. You did that to me before. I do it to All every right. guest. I do it to every guest. Every civilization gets a rock. Well, it's, 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 it's a commercial break. It's a commercial break. Plug whatever you want. I'm, I'm going to plug my book. I'm going to plug my book, The Fool and His Enemy. The Fool and His Enemy. Right. And it's, um, it is uh, the metaphysics of evil. Um, or toward a metaphysics of evil and it's on available on Amazon and you see I've got a picture there of George W. Bush with look who's standing behind him patting him on the back looking at him like oh you you just swallowed everything I had to offer um, so that's available on Amazon it's a quick read it's uh, it's just under 100 pages and um, and it kind of I even discussed this subject we're discussing now on there about the meaning of de destiny and where we're headed and how we're we seem to be at a very um you could say almost apocalyptic moment there's some big changes coming for us and um <clears throat> my um my my latest book is um let's see if i have it here it's the um this is my original book i do have a few left this is the origins of the fourth world war and um and this I wrote in the late 80s, and it was about, I knew that the, the Soviet Union was going to collapse because I read the defector literature, right? And I knew why. And so this was my, but it was an overview. I, it was my, it's my workbook, The Origins of the Fourth World War, where I worked out a lot of ideas 
in terms of the politics and where we're headed, where our civilization is headed and the problems. Uh, more recently, my more recent book is um, <clears throat> The Lies We Believe In. And that, that one is um, is also available on Amazon. So I just um, did a crass commercial message. Beautiful. Um, one thing I <clears throat> I think about is is you know I I love critical thinking I love kind of expanding my mind but I also like to draw on like the few experiences that I do know right there's you know there's a bunch of great quotes about overcoming hardship and how good wins over evil and blah 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 you kind of have to treat not immediately though <laughs> but then I always have to draw my own experiences of like I was in perfect shape got in medical school had the hot girlfriend lost a brother suicide, gained a bunch of weight, got on a bunch of drugs, had to live with my parents for five years, lost the weight, got back into exercise, got sober and built a podcast. So like, I always have to draw above all else. I'm like, my own conclusions say that like, never get content because you can fall to the depths of hell, but you can also climb out. And so like, I kind of have to like, exclude all motivational quotes I see. And I'm like, I know from my own experience, like I don't need anyone telling me that it's possible. Like I've done it. And so in that same sense, there's a lot of great, you know, expansion of the mind and entertaining ideas that you maybe necessarily haven't seen before. But then I have to draw back on like, what do I know? And that's, you know, it's so long as our history is somewhat true, I have to look at it and go, <sighs> think about like proxy wars or even not even second world nations. Think about like third world nations during like the Cold War. I mean, if you're really a backward, you know, I've interviewed Delta Force Special Activities Division guys that say, like, they would meet farmers in Afghanistan that didn't know what America was or 9-11, and they'd never heard of Bin Laden. And they live in the same, at the same time that I was in middle school playing on an iPod. They were out there and didn't know what the United States was. We lived in that same reality at the same time. Now, imagine it's the Cold War versus the Soviet Union. There are people that are so advanced from you, they might as well be gods. They have satellites and ICBMs and subs and SOSIS nets and ARPANET, and you might just be some tribe in the middle of Syria. And if you do play a, if you have a valuable role, like the, like the hens laying the eggs, they might give you something like giving a hen food. They might give you stinger missiles but they might give you a crate full of AKs. Or if you're a, a new a cannibal in New Guinea and you never saw a plane until 1932 you and you're living in a valley in New Guinea where a million people have been living in the Stone Age and they just get discovered by accident by some Australian pilot, you suddenly you suddenly find the Second World War coming down on you a few years later yeah. and you have American GIs giving you cigarettes to bring back Japanese heads. Yeah. Yeah, you get then, you get the rest of the fine eating, but you yeah. have to bring the Japanese heads in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the story in the Pacific of like those planes that were dropping uh, supplies, and they didn't know what it was, and they thought the it was cargo a cargo cult. So they had uh, yeah, they had a church, and instead of a crucifix in the center, they had a the the outline of a plane because it was dropping food and water and lighters and MREs. Like, mm -hmm. so if we know that from our own history, we have to take that one step further. And go, why can't it be happening again? Why can't there be a proxy war between a an alien United States that we would like to think of as quote unquote good 
and maybe an alien Soviet Union that is quote-unquote bad, or whatever nations you want to choose. They would be God-tier technology. If we had a valuable role to them, we would be given something or given weapons. And they might not necessarily have the best diplomacy with us because ultimately they have they have the biggest stick. So just like uh, maybe a tribe's not working with us, hey, we're going to bomb your town. Remember whose side you're on. They might abduct you. They might blow up a city. They might give you a treasure. They might give you some technology like a Roswell craft. So here you go. Here's a little thing. Work with that. That's not even our good stuff. That's our old crap. If we have seen it in our own, not even in the last century, why can't it happen again? Why can't it just go one step further? And it might not be necessarily off world. It might be interdimensional. It might be one step higher. Well, why couldn't well, it? The problem is the United the, the human race is really stupid. Oh, yeah. And <clears throat> this is my, you know, my latest essay that I published yesterday. Um, it's it's strategic culture and the art of seeing. And I I quote uh, Julius Evola, who says a great majority of Americans can be said to represent a, a refutation on a large scale of the Cartesian principle, cogito er, ergo sum, they do not think and are, right? And he says, better yet, in many cases, they're <laughs> dangerous individuals, and in several instances, their primitivism goes way beyond the, the Slavic primitivism of, Soviet, uh, of Homo Sovieticus. So <clears throat> the thing is, is the one thing we have to realize is you know, it's like my favorite, one of my favorite philosophers, Dirty Harry Callahan in Magnum Force says a man's got to know his limitations, right? And and we're very limited in our ability to think. Um, we don't do it very well. And nowadays, and I argue in the essay, is just uh, as, a, as a strategy analyst, which is what I, I mainly am, um, I look at everything I, I, I watch on TV, you know, we're watching the war watching the analysis, watching uh, Douglas McGregor say on day 10 that the war is almost over and the Russians have won. You know, it's like, wow, I, I've talked to him. I've interviewed him myself. And it's like, wow, that's dumb. Because even I could see on day 10, that wasn't what was happening. Yeah. Right. And, and so, and, you know, and then other really people I respect who have interviewed again, I, uh, uh, Andrei Larionov, who signed on to the Center for Security Policy, worked at the Cato Institute, saying, absolutely, there wasn't going to be a Russian invasion. And I saw the de I saw the deployments the Russians were making in, in the middle of January, and I said, there is going to be a Russian deployment uh, invasion, because these deployments are invasion deployments are not an exercise. Hmm. And I because I've studied, you know, uh, operational art of war and, and so i could i could actually read a military map and say okay they're planning to go after kiev you could see that by the where they put their paratroop divisions where they were how they were balancing their line you could see it was a double envelopment attack all those things you could see it was they were going to invade but these other all these and the thing i noticed is that the that when people in our society every society has blinders and our big blinder is economics. We think everything boils down to economics, right? The business of America is business. It's all about money. So that we even believe that war is about money. Mm -hmm. But I call that into question. War is not about money. It isn't. Because Clausewitz was right. War is a mm -hmm. duel on a tremendous scale. And who duels over money? 
People yeah. duel over honor. Yeah. They duel over the right to do something, sovereignty, all kinds of other things. But it's never about money because, as Joseph Schumpeter pointed out, there's an economist after my own heart. Joseph Schumpeter pointed out in his book on imperialism and social classes, imperialism doesn't really work financially. You're You're paying out more than you're getting. And he pointed out that the whole reason for imperialism was – you had you still had the warrior aristocracy classes in Europe, and they needed somewhere to go for their second sons and cousins, mm. who under prime primogenitor weren't going to get anything. So how were they going to get anything? They had to go overseas, and make their fortune in Africa, in India, you know wherever they there were colonies to be had, and so that that's where Winston Churchill came out of. You know mm. his cousin got to be the Duke, you know, um, um. Uh, the Duke of Marlborough, right? And he he was a cousin. He wasn't going to get it. His his father was a younger brother. So what did he do? He went out. He participated in the last cavalry charge of the British cavalry, and and went out there with uh, went out into Africa and fought the Boer War. And so that was those were the adventures that a young aristocrat would have. Um, because what and it was it wasn't about money. It was about honor because aristocracy is about honor, not money. They got the land, right? They get the and how do they get their land? Some night guy gets knighted, he gets a baronet, right? Because of what things he did on the battlefield, hmm. the feudal medieval system. So Lenin was wrong. Lenin said that you know uh, colonialism, imperialism was the last gap of, gasp of capitalism. No, it was the last gasp of feudalism. And as soon as World War II hit and all those aristocracies just went away, there were no more Churchills, there were no more aristocrats, they gave up their colonial empires. They didn't, there was no reason for it. There were no sons of baronets or younger sons of baronets looking for a way to make their fortune, uh, following in the warrior traditions, because after all, aristocracy in Europe, it was a warrior aristocracy. So when everything's about the bourgeoisie and making money, as in America, big business, there's no reason for imperialism. So the communists, they got it all wrong. It's a smear against capitalism. Capitalism has other problems. It's focused on money. That's a problem. What happens to honor, right? And what happens to honesty, mm-hmm. word related to honor, right? And keeping your word and looking. See, what I find in bourgeois society is more and more the cases nobody really cares about the truth. What would you what would you say about uh, our military uh, expend not expenditures our military presence around the world and then as well as the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative which is really just what we already have which is kind of ironic that my I myself above oh that I myself above everyone else always criticized the Belt and Road Initiative ironically never once questioning our eight hundred military bases around but could you say that imperialism is still here. Unless uh, you in you some count, new form, or... unless you count, you know, uh, you know, Puerto Rico and and Guam as an empire. Okay. Uh, we gave the Philippines their liberty. We gave Cuba back. We invaded Mexico, took Mexico City, and we just took the empty Southwest where nobody but Indians were really living. I mean, um, we we didn't really make an empire. You know, everybody here is a citizen, not a subject. 
right? Where where we got a subject? We we want to get rid of Puerto Rico and we let them vote and they want to stay. It's like, no, no, no. Vote to be your own country. Go away. <laughs> Please, we don't want you. Uh, the military bases exist because, because the, of the Cold War and because we became, we took over the British role of freedom of the seas. Mm-hmm. And we defend the commerce of the world. Free passage, yeah. It it's the commerce of the world, and we have to defend it against predatory countries. You know, we intervened because Iraq invaded Kuwait, and Saddam Hussein was continuously into mischief. Right? I mean, Saddam Hussein invaded two of his neighbors, and he would have gone more. <laughs> he was a crazy person. Yeah. Um. We we're we're keeping North Korea in check. It turns out we're keeping China and Russia in check. Why? Because, because there's a difference between countries that are actually feudalistic. I mean, you look at the social organization of Russia and China, they are not modern countries. It's like you don't have a genuine free market. You have a feudalistic thing where you get this position and you run this company for the higher level people in the party than you. And everyone there's a it's, communist party member on every board of every corporation in China. That's right. They have the secret party committee on, and yeah. that's basically telling them what to do. So you don't, you, it's not, it's a kind of, um, it's a kind of uh, almost feudal system and people get their positions because they're loyal to those above them in the, you know, that you got this vertical relationship in the market system. There's more of this horizontal where we're all competing, Right. And, and and so on. So, you know, theoretically, the, the two systems, it's like um, Andrei Navrozov coined the term. He said there's the zone of culture, the zone of of commerce and, and culture, and there's a zone of militarism, which he would count China and Russia and North Korea. They're, they're focused on – I mean, look at Russia. The, 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 look at the poverty in Russia and China. It's all about building these super weapons, you know. They put more of their GDP into weapons. It's just unbelievable that they're putting so much into weapons. Why? Because they're more uh, old-fashioned in that way, and and it's a, it's weird because they've got a modernistic, um, mater, you know, dialectical materialistic, um, and and we talked about this before. Uh, uh, it is a feudalism out of despair. Hmm. It is a it is a form of autocracy, uh, and it, and and what's amazing is how everything is divided up in Russia. And we find about all the corruption: their tanks don't work, their supply system doesn't work, their own leaders have embezzled billions so that they their poor soldiers go out and don't have uniforms. And now we find out maybe their their tactical nuclear weapons don't work. Uh, I'm gonna make a note to send you an episode. My buddy Roger and I did an episode a couple months ago and he brought up the idea of like do their nuclear weapons work incorporate mm. like the amount of tritium or the amount of maintenance it takes the select yeah. few who's overchecking it and how would you ever know except for a time of war but that's it's another. it's like a well it's like a a a, a fifty thousand dollar watch that has to be kept in perfect order yeah right? locked away in a safe that no one's allowed to see yeah. Well, oh, yeah, of course, it's, it's there. Oh, yeah. Don't trust you, me. And, and of course, you the, uh, you have these atypical earthquakes in Russia that we know are nuclear tests. Uh, so they violated. They break all their treaties. It's just normal. It's like Lenin said, uh, treaties are like pie crusts. They're meant to be broken. Um, <laughs> so dig in, you know, just go ahead. But the thing is, and we haven't tested one in 30 years. 
Okay, we ought to. The Biden administration is very anti-nuclear. They would, would get rid of all of our nuclear weapons tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, but we're we're sort of America is sort of the only thing between the whole rest of the world and China and Russia gobbling everybody up. And that that is as much as I know. I get criticized on this podcast for being rah rah America. I'm I'm not obviously I'm biased to say this, but and it's my own ego. But I'm not stupid. I know that it's not perfect. I know that there's a lot of blemishes on this. There are no perfect countries. It's there impossible. Never, there never will be. Never wait, will be. No. Yeah, yeah. Wait until you find the perfect partner or the perfect friend. You'll right. you'll go to you'll go to your grave lonely. Yeah, that's right. And, and look, if you ha- if your country had to be perfect for you to be loyal to it and want the best for it, you might it as would well never, live on a desert island. It will, and it would never arise because everyone's no. waiting for the perfection. You you get right. to perfection. You, right. you don't just become Tom Brady. You don't just become no. the Beatles. You have a lot of shitty sets first. But I look at the United States for all of its flaws, and I say it's it's the least worst. Op- it's pretty damn good. If and if you want to be critical of it. It's the least worse option, and I do think it's worth defending if it's a bulwark against Russia and China. Well, the thing is, is that look, um, a person has to know that they are, uh, they belong to a side. This is what 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 really bothers me is when talking about the lack of uh, intellectual culture and strategic intellectual culture in America is that our intellectual culture seems to be that. We can't uh, put anything together in a way that we actually are for ourselves. We always end up being against ourselves, whether you're you're on the left and you want to sacrifice America for the planet or you're on the right and you think that America is the deep, you know, is is the deep state and we have to have Putin as our hero to save us by wrecking America with Putin. All self-hatred, yeah. Yeah, it's self-hatred both from the right and from the left. And so there's a the, – remember Yuri Bezmenov, the KGB guy, gave these interviews. Active measures. And and active measures. And, and he said – he said what it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite the abundance of information, no one's able to come to sensible conclusions in the interest of defending themselves. Despite they look around and they – this is my point. Nobody comes to a sensible conclusion about defending themselves. The Biden administration wants to get rid of our nuclear weapons and close down all our, our oil refineries. Well, yeah. So we're all going to sit in the dark and freeze to death. Right. And then you've got the Republicans who, if they if they get in, supposedly Kevin McCarthy didn't say for sure, will 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 cut off the aid to Ukraine so that Russia can then own Europe. Right. Yeah. Because if Russia wins in Ukraine, you think they're going to stop. No, no. Why would no. I wouldn't stop? Well, of course not. It's the world is as nice. The world you, you can be as good as the world allows you to be. Yeah. And again, I'm aware of my biases. I grew up here and I love the United States. But there's something to be said for having a military force more powerful than the rest of the world and not subjugating it to your own empire. That's there is power there. I mean, there is good there. And I understand I'm drinking the Kool-Aid and I know people have that critique, but. Well, no, I I don't. You know, it's not a look. um, I was against the invasion of Iraq. Sure. And I got a very simple way of explaining it. It isn't morally wrong to destroy a dictator. It's not morally wrong. 
and a dictator who hates you and, and is looking for a weapon of mass destruction, which, by the way, he's he screwed them. He hid them all away in uh, Syria so that we ahead. wouldn't find him or Lebanon. And so um, he had him. He just got rid of him so he wouldn't get caught. But OK, so, so that's not morally wrong. It was strategically stupid to invade him because Saddam Hussein was serving a very important role for us. The, he beat down on the Iranians. He scared the Saudis to death. Everybody in the whole region needed us there to be their buddy. Yeah. To keep him in his box. Yeah. I mean, Good we couldn't have invented up. a better guy to make us necessary to all those countries who otherwise would go, oh, the Americans are arrogant. We don't need them. You like, have to wonder. Yeah. Was that war gamed out then? Are we not seeing a bigger picture? If we couldn't have invented a, be invented a better guy, I can almost imagine you and I are saying this to some like general in a bunker, and he's looking at us almost like a parent as the kid's realizing something. It's like, and well, yeah. we got rid of him. Why? Because Is we're there... stupid. That or that. It's because we're stupid. Look, it's like uh, I remember Christopher Story was interviewing uh, the GRU defector um, 20 years ago. Um, uh, Victor Suvorov, his real—that's his pen name. His real name is uh, 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 is uh, Vladimir Rezin. And so he asked him. He said, uh, "Was the fall of the Soviet Union like a charade? Was it like fake? And and are, are they still continuing? Because of course they are." And he goes, "Well, you defected to Britain. You talked to the British intelligence and all these other people. Don't you tell them that the Soviet Union's still there? That they're they're maybe attenuated, but they're still coming for everybody." And he goes, "Yeah, of course I do." And he goes, "Well, why don't they listen to you? Why don't they believe it?" He says, "Because they're stupid." <laughs> that was his answer. Right. Because they're stupid. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know? I, I I was just trying to think like. I always, if anything, it's just for my own intellectual curiosity. Like I love just, just playing it out in my mind. It's almost, it's like an exercise for your brain, but I, I always try to think just like, what would be the, for the most part, I do think they're stupid, but I'm like, if this was a grand plan, if this was a, a Tom Clancy novel, what would it be? If what particular, in particular, and, and any, you just choose anything, you just choose anything. And so like right now I'm like, Right well, now, that's the whole idea behind conspiracy theory, right? Well, yeah, that's why I love him so the, much. The the idea of conspiracy theory is that there are these people that are so smart, they can actually control events. Well, just try controlling events. Just in your just try running a business where you control the events. Oh, I'm trying to run a solo podcast <laughs> with no employees but myself, and I find that I can't. I'm. I thought it would be easier being a, a single person company, right? Because I'm yeah. the executioner. I get to do well, it. Every Try to manage other people. It looks oh, yeah. like no, it's, cats. Right? Oh yeah, no, it's. Hey, I was in a fraternity for two years. I, I That's what. That's what blackpilled me on ever working with anybody ever was being in a fraternity and going. It's in our interest right. to keep the frat house clean, and you can't get anyone to. You can't get people to throw in money to buy beer so that the hot sorority girls will come over. You couldn't get them to. If you couldn't herd them to do that, how in the hell am I going to create a, a, an accounting company? No, no, you, you're preaching to the choir. That you know, being said. I, I look, I, I owned a company. I managed people for uh, quite a few years and um, I'm, I'm good at it. I'm actually good at it. I found that was one of my talents. But what I found was you don't you don't ever control people. Managing people is the opposite of controlling them. You assess them. You give them their head and you say, look, 
It's up to you. You can do this or you can screw me and you'll be gone and I'll get somebody else. But, oh, yeah, no. it, you know, and it's like I'm looking for somebody who's right for me and that I and I want to be right for them. I want to treat them good, you yeah. know, so we can have a good thing here going on, you know, yeah. as an employee employer thing. And that, by the way, that works best. Oh, no, it's, it's an art. It's a it's yeah. a it's an artistic dance. Yeah, it works best. And there are people that just simply want to get over on you. And if you know how to hear that when you're interviewing them, when you hear they're trying to they're charming you and they're they're trying to outwit you in the interview. Yeah. Right. It's like. All right. This guy's going to last about two weeks with me. You know, I've always found a, a good way to judge people is playing online video games with them. What kind of games do you mean? We're both on a team. We're both fighting. We're both shooting people and whatever. We're in a building. We got to clear out the terror, whatever. Something like that where the stakes actually don't matter. And you see how they'll, they'll, they'll go and take a bullet for you or they'll come and revive you. Even when the bullets are flying, that's just little things like that. Yeah. All right. You noted. You can just see how people behave. Well, you know, games are serious. Yeah. And I, I believe that, see, this is the, the, the problem. I was in academia and what I realized was all these strategists, these would be strategist uh, academics getting their PhDs, they, they, they couldn't do strategy. They could do equations. They could do numbers. They could follow these formulas um, of, of how to think about strategic problems, but all of it was wrong because they didn't have the sense of anything. They didn't have that larger ability to integrate anything. And the reason was, is that if they were in a, if you gave them a real situation to be in, they would do the wrong thing. They wouldn't know what to do because the game they'd been playing was the, the academic game. And so everything became about that. And so what I found was valuable was that uh, strategy games turn out to teach you strategy. So what you were just saying about people judging people, look, you know how you win most games against people? Most people are quitters. Attrition. If things are going a little bad for them, they start whining. Break them. They start saying, you know, they start making complaints, complaining. And it's like those people. They start, yeah, they start plaguing everyone with the, with the we're going to lose. We're going right. to do what? No, you want the person. Because they have no grit. They have no ability to handle adversity. And the thing is, is that nobody, if you really are going to do something difficult and all real contests, because strategy is a zero-sum game, you're going to have losses in a zero-sum game. And you you take, you know, Clausewitz says in war, the, the least thing is very difficult. And there's this thing he talks about. It's called friction, right? There's always friction. So you have to have, uh, and this is one of the great qualities that, that Clausewitz and, and military people have. It's, it's, uh, it's endurance, stamina, it's um, fortitude, which also is translated as courage. Fortitude and courage are related. So fortitude isn't just the strength to keep standing up, to keep driving ahead, but there's also connected to courage. How much damage are you willing to take? How much of a personal sacrifice are you willing to make to get to the other side? And this is the thing that that gets me is that here's where the Russians are making a really big mistake with Europe, cutting off their fuel and making them cold in the winter. If you want to beat somebody, 
If you want to defeat them, you make them softer. Yeah, keep them cozy. Keep them cozy. That's the way to defeat them. You're making them cold and hungry. You're making the average person. You're bringing them into the fight now. No, you want to keep it. You want to keep it a a news blurb. You don't want it to be in their living room. No, and the and see, this is what they learned from the the very controversial strategic bombing survey after World War II. Mm -hmm. The German resistance, from all evidence, the way I read it, is the German resistance increased by being bombed because you did two things first by bombing civilian areas by firebombing and murdering civilians by the tens of thousands you were teaching them that you were evil and you were worth fighting against Mm -hmm. because you just did something evil you just bombed civilians in their propaganda right and so this is perfect perfect propaganda for joseph goebbels you know, you know, when we call the bombing of Hamburg Operation Gomorrah, what's that? You know, we think yeah. the Germans are going to feel guilty that we're mass murdering their civilians. Yeah. <laughs> you know, come on, give me a break. Um, so so it, it was stupid. And then because they believe more in their own cause and more in the wickedness of the thing they're fighting, they're going to fight harder. They're going to work longer hours. They're going to put out more production. And you're wiping out all those old old facilities they're building new ones underground that are more efficient and turn out more tanks and more airplanes and more artillery pieces so see there was a there's a when you do certain things to people you're really not helping yourself and and uh and and there is you know Clausewitz talks about will you know that you have to break the enemy will through a bloody contest the thing that breaks people's will is not necessarily um, a medicinal dose of hardship. What breaks them is massive death and slaughter and destruction uh, in a way that makes them lose all hope. And that's what you do when, when an army gets flanked and surrounded and they and every soldier knows, okay, this is the end. Drop your rifle and you run. But you have to remove that hope. And just bombing people doesn't do that. Yeah. Yeah, there is like a it's more of a light switch. It's like it's not a dial. Because if you bomb people, you're not bringing them into the fight, right? And much like a virus that you're using and disinfected against, they're becoming more resilient. And so it's like don't do that because you're not bringing them into the fight. You want to keep them fat and lazy. But if you are going to bring them into the fight, don't cut off their gas, burn their cities to the ground and nuke their hometown. You either have to completely break their will or don't get them involved at all. And here's the problem with nuclear war. And this is a controversial statement, but imagine you're in a nuclear war. If you're dead, you have no say in the morale. But if you're alive, think about the exhilaration of having your country nuked and you're alive. And you're thinking, wow, I survived that. Maybe I can survive anything. Yeah, you got nothing to lose. See, that's what people don't realize. There are all these psychological moments that people haven't thought about it. You know, like we think about deterrence and our thinking like Columbus falls right off the edge of the flat earth of our thinking. We don't realize that there's another world on the other side. So we don't go there because we're so scared of it. But the fact of the matter is once you're there, you go, okay, I'm alive uh, and I want to keep living. So guess what? I'm not giving up. Yeah. It's a, it's YouTube thinking they're going to shut down a story by banning people. And it's like yeah. you just go somewhere else and then you realize that you're not dead and you're like, oh, fuck that trillion dollar company. You're like, I can do this. I still got a camera. 
Yeah, how much money has YouTube, how much have they shot themselves in the foot? And now these other, this thing that you're on here now uh, is how much is that going to bring in now? Who are, who's going to end up on top? Uh, In the end, uh, it is, you know, this is the problem that people, people have is that like we were talking about controlling other people, getting people to do what you want is not an easy game. And, And, and this is why war is so terrible. You have a whole nation, a whole tribe over here trying to get this tribe to do what they want. You are going to give us these, you know, Donbass and Kherson and Zaporozhye. You're going to give us those provinces and Crimea. You know, we already figured that, but you're going to have to cry uncle and say, we get that too. All right. So what do you have to do to punish that country to get them to cry uncle and say, okay, you can have it. You can have the five provinces, the the five oblasts, as they call them. Um, guess what? They bombed them. They've invaded them. They've murdered them. They've struck at their power plants. They've done everything to them. Ukrainians are like, no, we're fighting. We're taking everything back. And Russia's three times their size. And they're doing it. And it's like, and wow, they're succeeding at it. At least it appears so now. So see, it is not in this is what Napoleon said, and it's, uh, I don't remember if uh, Clausewitz repeated this, but Napoleon said that morale is to physical strength, physical numbers, what three is to one. It's three times as more important to have a higher spirit and morale than it is to have the numbers on your side. Because you will fight harder, you will march faster, you will endure more than the other side. And you will prevail. Or the other other quote, one volunteer is equal to 20 conscripted soldiers. Well, certainly in Ukraine, we see it with the conscripted Russian soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of wrap this full circle. Do you think the reason why we are seemingly so unworried about nuclear war, it could just be stupidity and we're walking to our death. Or does it make you wonder, is there a Trump card? And not, I know that term has forever been corrupted by, no, that doesn't mean Donald Trump. I mean, is there a, I don't know if it's based on UFOs, is it just the natural advancement of technology? Do we have some Trump card that really makes them impotent? Some secret weapon? That's the reason I brought up the UFO thing, because the answer to whatever's behind that is some kind of new technology and the and it and you know if ross Coldhart's in plain sight is any guide there is something i mean he talks about patents bizarre patents that the navy has mm-hmm. uh gotten for one of its engineers um there's something there and we have some kind of now do the russians and chinese have these super weapons are both sides sandbagging uh to some extent i think that's got to be the case that each side is like, this is like show me time. We're in a war. So what card are you going to play? Because once you play it, if the other guy has a higher card, you're yeah. done. Yeah. Right. So this is really like a very nerve wracking. This is much more like poker because you yeah, can't see the other guy's cards. Yeah. Who, yeah. What do you got? Royal flush? You can't. Yeah. Right. And so, so therefore, when I'm watching uh, President Putin on Russian TV last month saying, sitting there saying, I am not bluffing. 
It's like, who <laughs> plays poker and says, I'm not bluffing? I'm not lying, guys. I got four aces. That's very Russian to not understand an American game. Okay, they are good at chess. They know all that stuff. But in chess, you can see all the pieces. Yeah. They're all right there. And and see, the, the there's the little problem there is that they walked into a buzzsaw when they invaded Ukraine, which means their intelligence isn't as good as it was a decade ago or two decades ago. They've and and look, Mr. Putin's hat size is not big enough for him to be a genius. Mm-hmm. The guy is not the equal of Andropov. He's not the equal of of even Brezhnev, who actually had some very interesting ideas as a as a political thinker. Um, I don't like Marxism, Leninism, but he actually had some intellectual curiosity going on, and he he put together some interesting teams of people. You've got r- brilliant people like uh, Marshal Sokolovsky and uh, KGB General Miranov and Suzlov. They were really brilliant strategists. I don't see anybody like that in Russia now. Yeah. I don't hear about them. Maybe they exist, but when looking at what they're doing in Ukraine, it is so freaking incompetent that it's 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 a great relief. It's not that they might not nuke us, but to see that the, that they have degraded, that they have degenerated to that extent leaves me with the hope that our own degeneration hasn't outpaced them so much that we're doomed, <laughs> right? Hey, they're screwed too. They're screwed too. I, I think there is a general degeneration, and I think I talked about this because of this materialism, the rotten pragmatism in, in materialism. I, I think that is a problem, but um, <laughs> I, I suspect we do have something. I, like, I really do. It's kind of that that company of misery when you and your friend are both going into the final exam, and you're like, dude, I didn't study at all. And he's like, oh, thank God. Me neither. And it is almost sort of like, even though it doesn't make it better, his F doesn't make your F better. It also kind of does. I guess maybe, and maybe there is a pragmatism to it because if we all fail, then there's going to be a, there's going to be a curve. So unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But then you had an asshole like me who was always studied and that was like, you guys, like there's blood in the water. You're retaking this class because I'm getting an A. That, I don't know. Maybe that's China. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think there's something wrong with them. I and, used to think uh, that they were the up and comer, but something about them now seems like I wouldn't say that they're nothing. I just kind of tend to see them as kind of like us as well. Like, well, there's a new paper out from the University of Chicago, and it's and, and they got good economists there. And this paper says that China is 60 percent. Its economy is 60 percent smaller than we think. Ooh. Ah, Right. Right. And you know uh, what? I think that guy is right. I think he's right. The malinvestment in China is so tremendous, and and I think they're about to hit the wall. And the danger of war is this hitting the wall, really. The danger is these desperate uh, countries going down because of their own false premises. You know, When you have societies based on a lie and based on things that are false and wrong and evil, you're headed for a fall, whether it's us or them. And you know, all these people say how evil America is. If you look at China and Russia – we're not as high up on the scale of evil as they are. I'm sorry. To me, the proof is in the pudding. If you really thought we were evil, you would have left. If you well, really thought we were that bad, you would have left. We're, you, And maybe you do think we're that bad. If you truly thought that no one else was worse, you would have left. Well, yeah. I mean, if there was somewhere better to go, I mean, my ancestors and your ancestors, they were all immigrants to this country. Uh-huh. They all left somewhere to come here. 
Americans race. probably in our blood. Yeah. You would leave. Yeah. You would leave if you really thought it. And not only that, immigrants from all over the world wouldn't drag their balls through broken glass to get here. So yeah. I'm not saying it's perfect, but the gradient of immigration and the lack of emigration out, I, I think that speaks for it. It seeks its own level. Yeah. Well, the way that people are treated in China and the way – look at the way the Russians treat their own soldiers, the Russian government. Yeah. No, they, and selling organs from yeah, political China, prisoners in China. In, I mean you can – the yeah. list goes on and on. The the, the Lao guy, the kind of the, – the way they have political prisoners in Russia and that, that by calling an invasion an invasion, you can end up going to jail in Russia. I mean come on, you know. Um, we've got our problems. We've got, you know, the one six people and 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 the crazy extremists in in on the left that that want to, you know, limit speech. But I think we can beat them. We gotta we gotta wrap this up because I got another guest coming in. But I did want to end on the note of uh, I said it the other week. I was at the gas station last week. Somebody had uh, written FJB, fuck Joe Biden. And someone I had written next to that, FDT, fuck Donald Trump. And in a brief moment, I was like, that is beautiful. Because whoever wrote that is not in jail for, you know, criticizing the king. And I am not at risk for failing to uh, report the criticism of the king. I was like, that is, it may look like crass, uh, and it is technically, it's, you know, graffiti and destruction of property. It's not yours to write on. But that being said, there's something beautiful about just those simple FJB and FDT. You can just say that and get back in your car and go about your life. And the secret police aren't cuffing you. There's something beautiful there. If anything, that's my marker. I'm like, that's a good place to be for all of our flaws. You're not wrapped up. You and your family aren't rolled up and worked to death in some limestone, limestone quarry. Our freedom is not perfect, but we still have it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but hey, Mr. Nyquist, thank you so much, man. Let's uh I'll text you after this. Let's get another one on the books. And um I got one more after this, and then for anybody listening, it's gonna podcast is gonna be offline for probably like ten days or so. But uh I love talking to men. I like that we can just go off about UFOs for an hour. I've I always appreciate that that mental flexibility and uh I look forward to many more episodes with you. I'll put all your links in the description. Closing thoughts, right. final words. Thank you for having me and good luck on your move. Thank you, sir. I hope it's the last move I ever do. <laughs> I seriously hope to be in this it next apartment be. until it 20. I know, I know, I know. But let, let me, let me, let me drink the cool <laughs> for a minute and say that I'll be there forever. I know I won't be. Thank you so much, man. God bless. Right.